Stuart Holman here. Welcome to another series of devotionals in our Growing Disciples course where in this month of August we're focusing in on the life and ministry of Jesus. This month so far we've focused in on the opening of Luke's Gospel where we are introduced to Jesus through the birth narrative and through the launch of his mission despite his humble human family circumstances, Jesus announces his purpose and mission in terms of the prophet Isaiah's vision of the suffering servant king. He has come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. And so throughout each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this mission is displayed through Jesus' many dramatic healings, exorcisms, miracles, and great works of power. But more than just miraculous wonders, these events serve as signs. They have a meaning and a significance beyond themselves, pointing to Jesus' identity, his, his mission and his purpose. So, just as the sign on the M1 freeway to Sydney is not the city itself, but rather it announces that the city is to be found up ahead with its harbour, its bridge and opera house and so on, well, just as that sign to Sydney points beyond itself to the reality, so also Jesus' miraculous signs point beyond themselves to a greater reality. And so in this week's devotionals, we're going to focus in on Jesus' signs, but particularly as they're found in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John. Why John? Well, it seems that since John has selected just seven signs to tell us about and carefully structured his early narratives around these signs, that we might find much there to reflect upon. John himself says that Jesus did so many more signs, but he records these so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. So the first of these signs concerns Jesus' actions at a wedding in the town of Cana. Let's read it together now, John 2. On the third day, in the context of the end of chapter 1, that would be the third day after some of Jesus' disciples joined themselves to him after their initial meeting. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. It's an interesting little interplay, isn't it, between Jesus and Mary, between mother and son, so early on. What does Mary know that others don't? What is Jesus' sense of timing in relation to his ministry? What is his hour? These questions are left unanswered for now. Verse 5, his mother, Mary that is, said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Each jar holds roughly 100 litres. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. So we're talking about 600 litres 
of water just about to be turned into wine. Sorry, I maybe should have given you a spoiler alert there. Jesus turns the water into wine. 600 litres is 800 bottles of wine. Then he, that is Jesus, told the servants, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus' first sign initially looked like a great party trick. Who wouldn't want 800 extra bottles of Grange to suddenly arrive at their wedding? There is an abundance of generosity to Jesus' apparently reluctant actions here, a, a, a generosity that surely points toward the grace of God. With that said, I think the significance of Jesus' first sign, the reality of much greater significance to which Jesus' actions refer, this sign is all about timing. There are several clues in the passage which tell us this. First of all, there is a timing issue as to when this all happens. In verse 4, Jesus says that his hour has not yet come. Everything that Jesus is on about, his mission, his purpose, the fulfillment of God's Old Testament promises is near, but it is not yet. My hour has not yet come prepares us to be thinking about timing, when. But the text highlights the words of the master of the banquet, doesn't it? The timing of the wine is back to front. In verse 10 he says that everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. That's where this narrative lands. What does this sign mean? Somehow God has saved the best wine in abundance until what seems like the last, the end. In the long Old Testament narrative of promises and fulfilment, God is surely doing something wonderful right now at what seems like the very end. We should sit up and take notice, therefore, because here comes the best bit. What is that something wonderful? Certainly the sign involves a significant transformation. The ordinary water for Jewish purification is changed to beautiful wine. The purification rituals of the Old Testament, represented by the water, seem now to be surpassed by a great celebration. Traditionally, wine was always associated with blessing and abundance, good times and celebration, then as now, I guess. The water foreshadowing purification has become the fulfilment of the harvest, that is the wine. Everything promised by the ritual purification rites of the Jews was now becoming concrete when God's people would be able to stand before him in actual purity and rejoice and celebrate. What might they be celebrating? Whose wedding might this sign actually be referring to? 
I'd suggest that it might be the great wedding banquet of the Lord Jesus himself at the fulfillment of all things in his marriage to his bride, the church, just as it says in Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So this first recorded sign of the kingdom, recorded for us in John's Gospel, tells us that the arrival of the kingdom of God is imminent. Then Jesus' hour had not yet come, so the sign points forward in anticipation to that when the best is saved for, the last. But as Jesus said on his way to the cross, now his hour had come. The time for the arrival of the kingdom of God had come with the cross. Ritual washings for purification would be replaced by actual purity, won by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The celebration would not only be a victory over sin, but also the union of Jesus Christ with his people, the church. A wedding banquet of the very best of the best that does not end. So, where are you at the great wedding banquet? How might your living today anticipate that moment when we enjoy the abundance of God's provision at that wedding?